Hi there, and welcome to the Godrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose. The Godrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today is part two of our three-part series with Tad Hussey of Keep It Simple Organics. Founded by Tad's father, Leon Hussey, Keep It Simple is an edible nursery, production greenhouse, outdoor preschool, organic hydro shop, and feed store in Washington State. Tad is an educator and sought-after speaker on probiotic growing. During the first part of the series, we talked about wildcrafting probiotic nutrients for nutrient teas. This week, we're going to talk about building your soil from wildcrafted and alternatively sourced inputs to save you money on store-bought inputs. And our third visit with Tad in a couple weeks, we'll be talking about compost tea. Welcome back to the show, Tad. Thanks for having me back. Excited to be here. The response from your first visit was so strong, I knew I had to have you back and to talk more about ways to wildcraft to save money on store-bought nutrients. Before we get into the specifics of what inputs to use for building soil, let's set up a framework of what building soil means. Many new growers just grab a bag of potting soil and go for it. Why is knowing how to build a soil from scratch important? That's a great question, Shango. I've one thing I've noticed is the traditional method for growing is you start with a base media that's relatively inert, and then you go out and buy these expensive bottled nutrients to water into the soil and, and grow your plant, and then you throw out the soil at the end of your growing cycle. With building your soil and knowing what's in your potting soil, you can add the minerals and nutrients that your plant needs. Uh, right into the rhizosphere, so the plant's really in control of its growing habits. And you're not spending money on these expensive bottled nutrients because when you start looking at what's on the label in a lot of these organic nutrients, these are things that you can put directly into your soil uh, prior to ever planting your plant. I would think that you know if you build your soil right, the nutrients are always there, and so it becomes kind of a buffet situation for your plant that instead of there being a lot of nutrients and then less nutrients and then a lot of nutrients when you when you water again, that if you're putting it in the soil, the nutrients are just kind of always there. So there, it's kind of like on-demand nutrients for your plant. Am I picturing that right? Yes, exactly. And it takes time for these nutrients to become plant available because when you add organic bottled nutrients or you add uh, amendments into your soil, they're not immediately available to the plant. You're not feeding the plant. You're actually feeding all these microbes in the soil that then help make these nutrients plant available. So by getting them into the soil early, letting the soil nutrient cycle and prep, and then planting your plant, you're just going to have a healthier, happier plant. It's going to be more disease resistant, and you're going to get a better overall yield. Right on. That makes a lot of sense. So so on the last time we talked to you, you talked a lot about uh, nutrient teas and how to wildcraft, uh, meaning you know uh, grabbing plants from your yard or other places in the natural environment um, that we could make into teas to feed the feed the soil. And now we're talking about similarly how to wildcraft or alternative sources for building that soil's environment for all the microbes. Why don't you just start from the beginning and tell us how you recommend that people build their soil? Sure. So now, in addition to your yard, I'm going to send you to your local feed store. That's the next best place to look 
for a lot of these amendments. Um, in addition to a feed store, your local garden centers, nurseries, these are all great places to look for things. Um, a variety of amendments that we would want to use would be things like organic alfalfa meal or fish meal or fish bone meal. Um, there's a bunch of minerals like glacial rock dust. There's, there's so many things that we can incorporate into our soil that it's, uh, it's pretty amazing what our options are. So, so let's start at the top. So, so um, if, if you were, well, let's say that you're working with a client and let's say they're a commercial client and they are asking you, how are they going to save money from buying all these bottled nutrients? Well, where would you start with them? What would you tell them the first things to go to collect? Um, I know that there may be more nutrients than we've got time for today, but like, you know, kind of give us a, a, a rough guide walkthrough for folks and then they can, you know, they can add or remove amendments as they want. Sure. So if you were, for example, growing outdoors, I, the first thing I would have you do is get your soil tested to see if that's something that we can, we can use and amend appropriately. By getting a soil test uh, with Logan Labs, they're probably my favorite soil testing lab. Uh, it's cost $25 for a standard soil test, and that will give us all the trace minerals that your plant needs as well. Uh, this, is my, this is my initial starting point. Now, if we're talking about building soil from scratch, say a potting soil or indoor soil environment, um, in that case, what I like to do personally is I, I like to do a mix of about 50% peat, 33% aeration in the form of perlite or pumice, and then uh, 17 to 20% is uh, earthworm castings or compost. Uh, you can also use cocoa if you prefer instead of peat. Uh, personally, I prefer peat for a variety of reasons. but um, if you do use cocoa, you'd want to incorporate a little bit more uh, sulfur and uh, calcium in the form of gypsum. When you were talking about, um, you know, potentially using the soil from your own yard versus bag soil, um, you said for growing outdoors. Is there a good reason why you wouldn't use soil from your yard indoors? Uh, no, it's just in an outdoor environment. To me, it makes sense to utilize the existing soil. For an, for an indoor growing environment, a lot of times we want to, I believe, really tailor the media um, for optimization. That being said, if you have wonderful soil in your garden, there's absolutely no reason you couldn't bring it inside and use it to grow your plants. Just keep in mind that you, you are potentially uh, bringing in diseases or pests or pathogens. In my experience, I've found outdoors, there's enough things in nature that will just take care of a lot of these problems. And sometimes when you bring that soil inside, you can um, potentially be exposing yourself to some of those issues. I, I understand. It's like you're, you're potentially bringing in contaminants because you're bringing in wild soil, essentially. Sure. I don't want to say that it's not possible or even discourage people from doing it because I think that's a great, really affordable starting point for people in, in building soils. But um, just be aware in the back of your mind that that is a potential. So, so, you know, we've got listeners in all parts of the country and they all have got different soils. But are there, are there certain things that are common when people get back their soil tests, say, for example, Logan's, Logan Labs or, or somewhere else? Um, or is there as much variety in, in tests as there are regions in the country? Yeah, soil can vary so much based on your on your region. And if your soil is very high in calcium, you'll actually have to do a slightly different uh, test with Logan Labs. But um, that's something that you would you would probably want to contact them directly on. Uh, here in Washington State, 
uh, we can just go with the standard soil test to get those results. So after you get the soil test, you'll do you do like a little consultation with Logan to have them help you read it, and then you're going to figure out what you would want to amend into your soil to bring it to where you want to to grow. Is that is am I following you? Sure. In my experience, they'll make recommendations uh, a lot of times, or you can pay for that recommendation. Uh, I'd say about 75-80% of those recommendations are pretty good. I like to make slightly different uh, amendments for cannabis than I would for a traditional farm crop, which is what they're, they're recommending towards, or a garden. But um, they would at least tell you if you have any major excesses or deficiencies. Right on, right on. Well, I know a lot of people are, are really excited to hear your specific recipe, and I know you've got it from a really uh, profound source, but we do need to uh, take a short break first. Um, when we get back, we will go through your recipe. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast is going to sound a bit different going forward. If you heard the show last month on CBD derived from hemp, then you probably noticed we've been experimenting with the format. We got really good feedback on that episode, so we've adopted those changes permanently, starting with this episode. That means the show is going to be a bit less produced and whiz-bang, and a bit more down-to-earth and pleasant on the ears. We also didn't used to control the commercial content, and we, and many of you, thought it sounded a bit out of sync with the rest of the vibe of the show. Going forward during the commercial breaks, we're going to bring you companies that we believe in. We're going to tell you about them, tell you how to get in contact with them, and then we'll get back to the show. Pretty simple, really. We got to thinking about why we do this and that how on the internet we can be whatever we want to be. So we decided to strip off all the monster truck rally production and are just planning on hanging out with you. This change also means that we are booking our own commercials now. So if you want to reach out and connect with our audience in the most personal way that we can offer, drop us an email at grow at gontrepreneur.com and we can talk about you becoming a commercial sponsor of the podcast. It's our hope and intention that these changes will make the podcast an even more pleasant listening experience. So thanks for listening and being part of the Gontrepreneur family. Now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Tad Hussey of Keep It Simple Organics. So before the break, we were talking about how important it is to get your soil tested so that you know what you're beginning with if you're going to amend your soil. And Tad was going back and forth about um, you know the differences between using your outdoor soil for outdoor and maybe using starting with more of a sterile soil for the indoors. Uh, but Tad, now we want to hear your specific recipe because I've heard from a lot of people that this is a really solid recipe and it's the one that you give to your clients. So let me just uh, hand you the mic and let you go through your recipe. Thanks, Shango. So my probably my favorite online free recipe for building soil right now comes from a gentleman uh, that goes online by the name of Clackamas Coot. He's a good friend of ours and was instrumental in helping me when I first was building our soil recipe uh, prior to doing any of the lab testing and subsequent work that we've done over the last 10 years. So the recipe that Clackamas Coot gives out is approximately one-third peat moss, one-third uh, high-quality compost or earthworm castings, and one-third aeration in the form of pumice or perlite, uh, with 10% of that being able to be made up from rice hulls as well. And then to that, he adds a half a cup per cubic foot of neem cake or karanja cake, kelp meal, and crab and crustacean meal. In addition to that, 
you're adding four cups per cubic foot of the following mineral mix, which is one cup glacial rock dust, one cup gypsum, one cup oyster shell or egg lime, and one cup of basalt. Now, don't get caught up that you have to have these exact ingredients. It, it's really best to source what you can locally, not just from an environmental perspective, but also as a cost savings with the freight of moving these minerals around the country. So if you're able to source a particular uh, mineral locally, there's a very good chance we could substitute it for uh, something in this recipe. So, so where do people pick up these inputs? You know, for I mean, I'm sure that some of the longtime growers know. Oh, I know exactly where to get that, but a lot of our folks may not. So, is this all going to be at the feed store? You know, some of it's going to be at the feed store. Some of it may be at your local garden center, and some things you may unfortunately have to find online. Uh, neem cake and karanja cake is one that's a little bit tougher to find locally, uh, depending on where you live in the country. Uh, the kelp meal uh, should be something that your local feed store would carry, and crab or crustacean meal is another thing you might be able to find, say, at a local garden center. Um, you'll definitely be able to find gypsum locally and some sort of rock dust and the agricultural lime. Uh, many of these things are sourceable locally. I guess one of the things to point out, too, is if the goal is to use the product that's as close to nature as possible, and if the goal is also to save some money, that uh, the closer you are to buying it in bulk by the scoop, the better for you. Because every time somebody packages this stuff up to sell it to you, they're adding more to the cost. Exactly. It's, it's much better to find these raw amendments. And even if you, say, for example, pay a little bit more to buy some of these ingredients online, you'll probably still be saving money on what you would pay for a bottled nutrient at the local hydro shop. And just to get back to this recipe, one thing I wanted to add is a lot of the recommendations by Clackamas Coot are in half a cup per cubic foot. This is a pretty safe recommendation for people in terms of wanting to add different amendments of other types to their mix. So assuming you wanted to add a little bit of an organic fish meal or fish bone meal or alfalfa, these things at a half a cup per cubic foot are probably okay. Just keep in mind of your uh, NPK values that as you add these things to make sure you're not getting an overabundance of any particular macro or micronutrient. And, you know, I was just thinking about that. You know, we probably got a lot of listeners who are going to be very specific about measuring this stuff out. And then you've got other people like me who are a little more iron chefing it in the kitchen. Um, you know, just these are general numbers. So I'm getting the idea that so long as you don't stray too far, the, the, this is kind of a hard thing to screw up. Exactly. We've definitely tested and pushed the upper limit of this with our soil mix. I mean, I'm putting in almost 100 pounds of nutrients per yard of soil into our soil mix. And we have to let it heat and cool um, as it nutrient cycles for at least two weeks prior to planting in it. But then we're able to make it through an entire growing cycle without having to add any other inputs besides water. 
All right, so so now we've got you know let's say that we've 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 gotten all this uh, all these important inputs and they look beautiful all kind of set up together. Um, how does one go about actually mixing them? And I and I and I'd actually ask for two answers. One for kind of like the the home grower um, who is doing you know maybe a couple yards of it, and then you know something a uh, scalable solution for somebody who's doing this at a commercial option. I mean I know that friends that in growers who I visited, they just throw it all on a tarp and then scoop it around and mix it up by hand is, is, you know, do you have a more elegant way to do that? Well, this is probably the toughest part of building your own soil, to be honest. Uh, it is some labor and I highly recommend wearing a dust mask or a respirator when you do mix these ingredients. Uh, a tarp is probably one of the simplest and easiest ways to do this. I've personally uh, don't like using a concrete mixer because I find it is really messy. Um, in general, the other the other option is uh, if you have a small tractor, you can scoop the ingredients and move it around that, that way on, on asphalt or concrete. But um, mixing soil is tough work, which is why we typically recommend reusing the soil. So once you've mixed the soil once, uh, you're not doing this over and over again. You know that that mixing or reusing the soil is a good good point. You know, I know a lot of growers. You know, they use all brand new soil every time that they do a grow. And from hearing you speak, I've heard you talk about you know reusing the soil. Why don't you talk a little bit about um, the benefits to amending your own soil and its reusability, and what amendments you may need to add a second time? Yeah, there are so many benefits to reusing your soil. Uh, one, if you are in a garage or in a large-scale facility, your biggest time and cost and expense is moving soil in and out of the facility and disposing of that soil. Not only that, but if you're using chemical nutrients and you're disposing of the soil, you're potentially leaching nitrates and phosphates into our groundwater and contaminating our, uh, our environment and groundwater systems. So there's, there's a ton of benefits there. In addition to that, our goal as we make the soil is to work towards having living soil. So we're building and mimicking nature here as we go over time. Many of these minerals that we're adding in that recipe are not even plant available that first cycle. So the idea is that these nutrients will be released and these minerals over time. So what we've done with our soil mix is we've actually tested it up to four years out at four cycles a year, um, and the production actually improves after that first cycle as the microbes establish more and more soil structure. Wow. So the goal is towards building towards this soil structure in your garden indoors. That's like that's the antithesis of what I hear more often for folks, which is, well, they want to make sure that they're giving their plants the most to thrive on, and so they they'll either buy pre-done soil or they're built they'll build a soil new each time. But actually, what you're saying is that some of the stuff isn't even available the first time around, so it might actually be better your third cycle, your fourth cycle. How long do you need to let the soil rest between uh, between growing cycles? That's going to be entirely dependent on how many nutrients you're adding per growing cycle. So, for example, with our soil, what we do in a, in a raised bed, an indoor raised bed, is sort of our idea of an optimal environment because we're giving each plant more access to soil and media. What we would do is literally harvest the plant at the end of the cycle and shake off whatever soil comes out with the roots and take that plant away and harvest it. 
Then what we do is we mix in a little bit of what we call our nutrient pack, but it's just a combination of organic minerals and nutrients similar to what we talked about in the Clackamas Cute recipe. You would mix that back into the soil, add a little bit of compost, and maybe a little bit of aeration if the soil needs more drainage. Because if you think about it, every time you harvest a plant, you're pulling out organic matter and you're pulling out nutrients. And because this isn't a closed loop, these are things that need to be replaced every cycle. But the cost to replace that and the amount that you're adding is so minimal compared to what you're putting in initially that uh, you end up saving a ton of money and you're really only disturbing those top two, three inches of the soil, which are designed to be disturbed by nature um, in a natural system. So uh, overall, you end up with a happier, healthier plant and your time down, if you're amending at these lower rates, is really only 24 to 36 hours before you're bringing back in your next crop of uh, vegetative plants into that flower room. How do you know? I mean, I know that you said that, that you use the keep it simple um, nutrient pack. But for folks who are going to do this themselves, how do they know what percentage of the original recipe they should add during the during the resting part of the cycle? You know, is it is, there, is it easy to say across the board, oh, just add 10 percent of each of the inputs and that should be good? Or or, or how, how should folks think about that? I would probably start, if it were me, uh, adding back in a half a cup per cubic foot of all those uh, main ingredients and maybe two cups per cubic foot of the mineral mix as an initial starting, starting point. But it really depends on how large of a pot you're growing in and how large your plant goes to determine how much nutrients are actually being taken out of the soil. So here's where another soil test would give you a baseline for what you need to re-amend at. But mm you really just have to pay attention to how your crop finished and how that amendment that you made at the beginning of the next cycle affected that crop. And so you, over time, you kind of get a feel for the soil and learn how to work it to where you can uh, manage your inputs appropriately. Right on. We're going to take another short break and be right back. You are listening to the Godpreneur.com podcast. Entrepreneurs across the country are establishing businesses in response to cannabis normalization. Once a state becomes legal for cannabis, they all go through similar growing pains. New business owners must develop a business plan, a brand, learn growing and processing techniques, and develop products from those new skills and get them to market. Most challenging, they must learn how to work creatively within the narrow bands of legality set by their state regulators. Each step in this process is filled with hidden delays at burn resources. The most common challenging belief I have seen from my own clients and other players in Washington, Colorado, and Oregon is that they think they can do it all themselves, or worse, that they have to do it all by themselves. This is simply untrue, and in most cases will cost you a great deal of time, money, and frustration. We have reached the point now that there are exceptionally good cannabis consultants who have learned from their mistakes, risen to the top of their own markets, and now offer this advice to new cannabis entrepreneurs in states that are just moving into production now. One of these is Green Lion. Green Lion was an early player in the Washington medical market. They grew up during times of confusing gray market regulations, balancing between honoring the Coal 2 memo and state cannabis laws, while continually striving to push the market forward with groundbreaking growing, processing, and products. 
Green Line was in the first round of licenses awarded by Washington State, and they began the difficult challenge of running tandem medical and state-licensed recreational operations while being a shining example of creating revenue and staying within the fine details of state law. Their extraction lab uses a variety of methods and has a reputation for producing exceptional oils and an employee training program taught by folks who are now industry leaders. Greenline can help you attain your own cannabis sales goals. Their multifaceted team has the expertise you need, whether it be growing, extraction, product development, branding, or support working through your state's licensing process. Green Lion is also now acquiring established medical and recreational marijuana product lines to bring into the Green Lion family. If you have an established product and want to participate in the licensed cannabis market, Green Lion could be the place for you. They will fold your manufacturing team into their production and get your proven products into the hands of cannabis enthusiasts everywhere. Finally, do you enjoy fine cannabis oil? Greenline presently provides recreational and medical products made with their premium oils throughout Washington State. Ask for Green Lion Dab Oil, CO2 oil and Keef-infused pre-rolls, vape cartridges, and full plant extract topicals at your favorite retail location. Get your pen ready because here comes the contact information. If you want to achieve a positive cash flow in a shorter time, reach out to Green Lion. If you have a marijuana business that needs to find a licensed home to manufacturer, reach out to Green Lion. Drop a line to contact at greenlionindustries.com and let them know how you want to work together. And tell them Godpreneur sent you too. That email address is contact at greenlionindustries.com. And now, back to the Godpreneur.com podcast. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Tad Hussey of Keep It Simple Organics. So Tad, right before the break, you said something that totally raised a, an exciting flag for me. You said indoor raised beds was one of your preferred uh, ways of growing. And, and is that exactly what it sounds like? Are you talking about for, for those who are growing indoors because versus outdoors, but indoors, you're actually cons constructing a raised bed that is shared by multiple plants so that instead of them being in individual containers, you've got a couple different plants that are sharing the same raised bed. They're their roots can intermingle, they can access nutrients at different part of this larger raised bed, and then they grow side by side. Is that what you're describing? Exactly. It, it makes growing so much easier. Uh, we aim for about a foot to 18 inches in depth for soil on these beds and typically stay about four feet in width, and then you can build them at any length. That allows us to reach into the beds and by putting uh, structures up above the beds, we can then scrog the plant and train it appropriately. Uh, the raised beds allow for better and more consistent watering. Uh, they allow for the plants to share a mycorrhizal relationship with each other, and they make it really, really easy to set up a watering system like, uh, for example, the blue mats or uh, drip irrigation. Man, I just... Um... Uh, as soon as you said that, my mind just started running with the implications of it. I think that this is going to be my next thing to look into. Why don't we take a quick little sidebar? How would you recommend people uh, go about building an indoor raised bed? What are your preferred materials? 
You know, most of the stuff you can just get at Home Depot. If you build them uh, eight by four, it's really easy in terms of the lengths of, of the lumber. We'll make them out. For example, you can make them out of something as simple as uh, plywood and two by fours, and then from that you just insulate it with pond liner, put in a couple degree angle on the drain so it, you have a drain in one corner in case for some reason you happen to overwater, mm. and that's really all there is to it. Wow, that's really cool. Right on. So, all right. So, let's get back to the soil recipe that we were talking about in the second segment. So, um, the goal of building our own soil is to make sure that the soil itself is alive. It is a good home for microbes. It will um, make the nutrients be more bioavailable to allow for thriving plants. Will I be feeding the soil over the course of the cycle or is the idea that I've built a soil and so I don't have to do anything to it or, or will I feed it with something in particular? I think the goal here is really to get all the minerals and nutrients into the soil so that the plant can select for the, what it wants when it wants it. That being said, sometimes you will find that, uh, you may not have amended the soil with enough nutrients at the beginning of your cycle and you will have to add some something to make up any deficiencies. And sometimes it's as simple as top dressing with some earthworm castings if it just seems like there's a, a minor deficiency. Or you can have on hand an, an organic bottled nutrient like a grow or, or a bloom formula just in case to help the plant finish its life cycle. Uh, in addition to that though, there are a lot of things that people like to add. Sometimes uh, silica is a great one because it helps with uh, any microtoxicities in the, in the leaf surface as well as heat stress and it builds thicker cellular walls so you have a stronger stock. Uh, that's, that's a really popular addition in the form of potassium silicate. Um, seaweed extract powder will provide plant growth hormones and regulators as well as uh, chelation and some potassium and, and up to 70 trace, trace elements. Um, there's a ton of different things that you can add. I mean, really, it's it, it's really the only limit is your imagination in regards to the different nutrient sources out there. I see. So it's a lot like so many different aspects of cannabis growing where, um, you know, if you build your soil, you're going to be, you know, 80% of the game already locked down. And if you want to continue on from that, you can do even better. So it's kind of like this sliding scale about how much you want to get into it, how much you want to research and how much you want to spend and spend time finding these materials. Exactly. And here's where a lot of that wild crafting uh, stuff from the last talk would come into play. You could definitely top dress your bed with comfrey, for example, or some, or apply a nettle tea for the silica. But one thing to keep in mind that I like to warn people is always start at like a quarter strength of what the recommended applications are when you're applying to a heavily amended soil like what we've been talking about. Uh, in addition to that, uh, make sure that when you do when you do apply these nutrients, uh, not only are you going light, but you're not applying them homogeneously across your entire growing space because you really can't tell if a product or an amendment is having an effect on your crop unless you have a control there. So I always like to tell people to experiment. You know, try try two or three different, slightly different soil recipes and be sure to keep track of how your plants respond to that because you may be growing a particular strain or cultivar that may want slightly more phosphorus or a little bit more potassium. And by experimenting with this, you can really dial in your own scene um, right there in your home. 
Right on. I've got one more question for you before we wrap up today. You know, you brought this idea of reusing the soil into the discussion. I really like that idea, um, both for the improved nutrient value of the soil over, you know, the two, three, fourth cycle, but also it just wastes less resources. When you're keeping the soil outside and you're giving it a cycle off to breathe, do you need to do this in a covered environment so that it's not getting wet? Or is it easy enough just to make a big pile out in the elements and let it fend for itself? How do you keep the soil while you're cycling it or while you're letting it rest during a off cycle? Well, in a raised bed situation, you're never even moving the soil out of the facility or out of your room. It's going to stay right there where it is. Uh, if you're growing in smaller containers and you need to repile the soil, re-amend it, and then move it back in, or... I mean, ideally, I don't think you're really letting the soil rest. But if you had to move it outside, keep in mind that you are potentially exposing it to pathogens and diseases when you bring it back indoors. I would definitely put a tarp over the top because you don't want to leach out any nutrients that are still pre-existing in the soil. And getting back to this reuse concept, the one question I get asked the most is, how do you deal with pests? Like, for example, if you all of a sudden have to deal with spider mites or fungus gnats or root aphids, how do you reuse the soil in situations like this? And that would be a, an entirely new talk. But basically, I just want to say that I really firmly believe that there are organic solutions for all of these pests and that you still can reuse the soil because we have people locally here doing that using a combination of predatory insects and various uh, organic IPM strategies. So... Just because you get a pest doesn't necessarily mean you still have to chuck out your soil and start over. Right on. That's a really, really good thing to point out. And and if you're a listener and you think the idea of predatory insects uh, is a good idea, feel free to go back to our podcast from about six weeks ago with Shane Young of Natural Enemies Biocontrol out of Portland. And he talks all about how to use beneficial insects. And it's a pretty good show. So, Tad, thank you so much for joining us on the show again. I'm looking forward to having you back in a couple weeks to talk about compost teas. And for anybody who wants to hear more about Tad, um, you can go back uh, to last month's episode where we talk about wildcrafting nutrient teas. And you can also view Tad's entire presentation at Canacon Seattle from two months ago on the video section at gontrepreneur.com. So, Tad, thanks for being on the show, and we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Sounds great. Thanks, Shango. You can find out more about Tad Hussey and Keep It Simple Organics on their website at kisorganics.com. Um, you can also find some of the materials that Tad talks about sourcing on their website as well. You can find more episodes of the Godpreneur podcast in the podcast section at godpreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the godpreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the godpreneur.com app in the iTunes store and Google Play. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at godpreneur.com to find out how. Today's show was produced by Noel Abbott. I am your host, Shango Lose. Thank you.